0: Good morning, good morning. So good to see some of those faces back here in, in town. And, uh, whoa. <laughs> Hold this, will you? <laughs> whoa. We're, we're off to a good start. I think that's it's going to All right. All right. Man, it's good to be here. Don't touch it. <laughs> I need my teleprompter. Gosh, is it gorgeous out or what? Oh, my gosh. It is so beautiful. What what a blessing it is to either live here or even visit here and the beauty. And you know what adds to that blessing is having a fellowship like this. It's a unique place to be able to live here. Take part in the beauty that we see around us and have this fellowship all together. Man, don't ever take that for granted. Don't take it for granted. Hey, we are in Ephesians, and sorry if, if you guys are looking used to looking way up here. I'm, I'm down here, so uh, hope this works out all right. <laughs> but we are in Ephesians, and um, I want to kind of piggyback what... Um, Scott started last week, and we're in Ephesians one. Wendy, can you put that up on the board, starting in verse fifteen? Uh, we're gonna—I'm kind of gonna go back a little bit. We're gonna read this for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And the next verse is that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? who fills all in all. We're going to stop there for right now. Oh, sorry. Well, um, yesterday, Larrae asked me, what was the title of this message? and You know, I don't really come up with a title. And I said, what was Scott's title last week? <laughs> he said, she said, knowing God well. And I said, okay, knowing God well, part two. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Last spring, I was out in Atlanta with adventures and missions for a weekend. And a guy stood up. We sat down for breakfast, and a guy stood up to pray over breakfast. And before he prayed, he he gave us a two-minute devotion. And he said two things that have stuck with me. He didn't elaborate on them at all. He just said two things. And the first was this, that God is absolutely predictable in his character. The attributes of God, the essence of who our God doesn't change. He is God From beginning to end, from everlasting to everlasting. What do I mean? What's some of the attributes of his character? He's faithful. He is faithful. You cannot, if you read the scriptures and believe that they are true, you cannot read scriptures and doubt the faithfulness of God. From beginning to end, the stories, the words, the proclamations, everything talks about the faithfulness of our God, does it not? What are some of the other attributes? He is full of mercy. Is he not? Help me out. What are some of the other attributes of his character? What was that? Um, yeah, that word. <laughs> what else did I? What's that? He's God is good. Is our God a God of mercy? Is he a God of grace? Is he also a God of justice? Just because he's a God of grace and God of mercy doesn't mean he's going to let you off the hook all the time. He's a God of justice. In fact, there's a psalm that says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mm. What else? Truth. He is a God of truth. Faithful. Forgiving. Slow to anger trustworthy God's love not the kind of love I love my dog God is the essence of love itself is he not you know all this right and I man I could give you hundreds and hundreds of scriptures talking about these attributes of the character of God we could go through and there's just story after story in scripture about these attributes of the character of God but instead of giving you hundreds of scriptures, I just took a handful and I squished them all together. And Wendy, can you put that little deal up there on the board, on the wall? Listen, this is just straight from scripture. Just a bunch of verses from the beginning to the end, just squished together. And it read like this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and astounding, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. For those who know your name put their trust in you, O oh Lord. You have not forsaken those who seek you. Read, this with, read the rest with me. Starting in righteousness, just read it with me. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. For great is his steadfast love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and righteousness, his children. But even if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Do you know that? I know that's a reminder for a lot of us, but do you know it? Do you know it as truth? Do you know it down here? Do you know that this is fact? You can go ahead and answer me. Okay, good. Make some sort of sign. (laughs) I want you to know that this morning. If it's just a reminder to you, I want you to know it down here because here's the second point. Here's the second thing. That God is absolutely unpredictable in his ways God in his character does not change from beginning to end we know who our God is but in the way he exacts some things in the way he does, he does some things it'll blow your mind it's off the charts if you read scripture and see some of the things and some of the ways he goes about doing things it blows you away Take, for example, uh, Moses in the, in the Israelites. And God is, God is saying, you know, I've seen the, uh, the burden on my Israelites. And I'm going to free them uh, from slavery. And Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So Moses goes and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And what does God do? He hardens heart, Pharaoh's heart so he can't let the people go. And then he says, Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And again, God hardens Pharaoh's heart so he won't let him go. And then he does it again, and he does it again. If that was a Hollywood movie, you would just go, God, just let him go for Pete's sake. But time after time after time, God is hardening Pharaoh's heart and won't let him go. Or Jericho. Who'd have figured out these walls need to come down? Okay, walk around them for seven days or six days, and then on the seventh day, you walk around, and everybody shout at once, boom, and the walls come, t- who'd have figured that out? God could have just gone boom, and the walls would have come tumbling down if he wanted to. Or Jonah, Jonah in the belly of a whale. Now, tell me this. If any of us in this room were in charge of the world, would we have come up with this, hey, this Jonah guy, he's a little disobedient. Let's get a whale to swallow him so he learns his lesson. Who'd have thunk that? Who'd have thunk that? You know, in Numbers, we read about Balaam. And God's a little upset with Balaam. And he's riding this donkey. I love this story. It's probably where Shrek got the idea. <laughs> he's riding this donkey. And this, this donkey starts stops. And he starts hitting this donkey and all of a sudden the donkey turns to him and says, quit hitting me. Why are you doing this to me? Have I not been the donkey all your life? God, the creator of the universe, who has hung the stars in the sky, uses a donkey, a talking donkey to get someone's attention to him. Who to think of that? You know, there's there's certain principles and there's certain promises that we have in Scripture that He will not deny. God will honor every promise. How He does it may be a different story. How He does it may be entirely different than how we expect Him to do it. Years ago, I was playing racquetball, and uh, you know, I was young and foolish. Now I'm just old and foolish. And we were playing, there was three or four of us in the racquetball court, we weren't wearing glasses, and sure enough, I took a a racquetball to my eye at a close range. And they got me down to the the hospital in Gunnison, and they wanted to fly me out to Denver because of the severity of it, but it was a blizzard, and it was a real blizzard (laughs) back then. And so the doctor in Gunnison, who was a Christian guy, got on the phone with the experts in Denver, and so they told him what to do. And they, what they told him was to you take some sort of instruments and you look in the back of the eye, and if you see black, the eye is severed, and he's lost his eyesight in that eye. If you see white, there's a chance that I'll, I'll regain the sight of my eye. He saw black. Laura was with him, and immediately they called a lot of you, people in the church. The prayers went out that night. In the morning... He looked again. He saw white. And I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God healed my eye. There's no question in my mind. Also, years later, I've had an accident, a horse accident that busted me up pretty good. And I still feel, I still struggle with some of the effects of that accident. And it's been years since that accident, I, and I have been in front of people who have the gift of healing. And I've had people tell me, you need to do you need to repent of this sin, you need to speak this boldly, you need to do this, you need to do that. I've had all the formulas laid out for healing for me. And Jim Raleigh has rallied around me so many times, gathering guys to say, our faith is good enough. We ask for complete healing. And yet I still struggle with the effects of that accident. God healed my eye, and I had nothing to do with it. On my leg, in that accident, I've gone through everything, and yet God has chosen not to heal me completely. Go figure. Tell me what the formula is for understanding God In that. You know, Peter is in prison. Peter is in prison for preaching the word, right? His friends pray. The angels open the door, and he walks out. Paul's in prison day after day, week after week, in chains, in bondage, over and over again. Where's the formula there? Jesus calls John the Baptist the greatest man born of woman. That's quite a statement. And yet God allowed him to not only be imprisoned, but beheaded. And you ask, what kind of God would allow that? What kind of God would do that? I get a lot of uh, funny responses. When uh, people have known me for a long time, I tell them I resigned from the ranch and I'm going to teach sailing now. See, you guys laugh. (laughs) And rightly so. I mean, I get some pretty strange comments. One comment was, uh, are you going to cut your cowboy boots into Crocs? (laughs) And another comment I had from somebody out there that's sitting out there right now was, maybe I shouldn't say this. He asked me if I was wearing my Speedo under my Wranglers. Because the, the image of a guy ranching most of his life is very different than the guy that teaches sailing, right? I mean, it's, it's to be expected. I, I remember times when Jim and I would go out of town. We'd be visiting somebody. We'd go to conference or whatever. We'd be talking to some strangers. And sure enough, these guys, these people would ask Jim, well, what do you do for a living? And Jim would say, I'm a pastor. And you could just feel the look on their eyes. You know, you could just, ooh, what do I do now, you know? Is he religious? Is he righteous? You know what I wish we'd done? Is I wish you would have just said for once that you were a used car salesman. and See what the difference (laughs) was. Just to see. You see, we have this tendency to judge people by what they do. We have a tendency to look at somebody by what they look like, by who they're with, by the cars they drive, by what they do. And we have that same tendency to get our viewpoint of God by what we see him doing or what we see him not doing. And that's backwards. It's backwards. I know, I know some ungodly pastors, and I know some very godly used car salesmen. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't matter whether our circumstances are awesome and they're great, it still shapes subconsciously. It still has a way of shaping what our viewpoint is of God. And when our circumstances are lousy, it's still, we tend to see God through what he does, what he allows, what he doesn't do. And it's backwards. And the reason it's backwards is because we have this very limited perspective. I mean, really, in the whole scheme of the eternal life how big are we? We have a very tiny perspective based on where we've come from, how we've grown up, our history, our church, or whatever. The people that have heard us, the people that have supported us is what, is what shapes our perspective of God. And it's very tiny compared to this perspective that God has of all eternity. But yet we let it happen. You know, we have the advantage when we read the stories in Scripture. We have the advantage of hindsight. We get to see the end of the story. And the end of the story says, oh, yes, God was brought glory to it. Now I see why he did it that way. Well, okay, sometimes we see why he did it that way. Can't always figure it out. But we see that the, the will of God was either fulfilled or it brought people to Christ or it, whatever the purpose was We have the advantage of hindsight in reading Scripture. We don't have that advantage right now. When we're in the midst of circumstances, right now, we don't have the advantage of see how it's all going to pan out. You know, we ask, who is this God that allows a baby to be born with life defects? We ask, what kind of God who forms a baby in a womb but only allows the baby to live for a month. We ask what kind of God would allow children to starve to death or young boys and girls to be caught up in slavery and sex trade. What kind of God would allow that? And we are such a people that we... we and I don't know if this is our culture or in America or what it is, but we are such a people of wanting answers and wanting solutions. We don't like to live in the unknown. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. And we probably all know some people who have those Christianese pat answers. Oh, it's the fall of man. Oh, it's the effects of the enemy. Oh, it's the consequences of our decisions. Oh, it's generations of sin passed. And those are all very valid answers, except when we just use them as a you know, go to a default thing like that and say, that's it. For us to ask those questions and not get a real answer affects how we see our God. But i tell you, you know, some of us, and some of you guys in this room, You may have turned your backs on God because you don't want anything to do with a God that allows some of those things. You've seen people in the church, you say, if that's Christians, I don't want anything to do with God. There are some awesome Christians out there, and there are some Christians that claim to be Christians that will hurt you, stab you in the back. Can we really judge God by looking through those Christians? Some of you may have said, I don't want anything to do with church because what I've seen happen in churches. Churches there are some awesome churches, and there are some churches that are way off base. We can't judge God and get our viewpoint of God from what we see going on around us or our circumstances. And I don't know why God allows some of the things he does, and I don't know why he does some of the things he does, and I don't know the difference most of the time. But I do know God. And I do know those things that were up on the board of who our God is. And the more and the more and the more I focus on what I do know, the less the I don't knows and I don't understands become an issue. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I love those names. If any of you are thinking of having children, I mean, Shadrach. I mean, is that not a cool name or what? Or you can always go, where's go? <laughs> anyway, sorry, I digress. Remember the story of those guys? They're, they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Why? Because they would not bow down to a golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar said they had to. Made a decree. If you don't bow down, you get thrown in the furnace. They didn't bow down. They knew who their God was. And here's what they said right before they got thrown in the furnace our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver deliver us out of your hand. But if not, we will not bow down to worship your golden image. See, they knew their God. They knew their God and they knew he was capable and absolutely able to save him and rescue him from his hand. They weren't sure how he was going to do it yet. And they said, if not, it doesn 't really matter, our God is our God, and oh man, if I could just challenge you today to know what we do know about our God you know um, I tell you what if you if you want to see a guy who knows exactly where he is before his God, and regardless of all the circumstances around him and the depression, read the book of Daniel. Read how Daniel understood and knew his God, and it didn't matter what the circumstances were around him. There, in the, there was a guy named Saul in Scripture. You all know Saul? Saul was a guy who went out of his way to persecute Christians, to persecute these people that were promoting Jesus Christ in this gospel message. In fact, he was condoning the killing of Christians. Now, if you and I were God, <laughs> what would you do? Get him out of the way so my church can, so we can further this message. This guy is stopping everything. But what does God do? In God's unpredictable way, he gets a hold of Saul. He changes his name to Paul. And Paul understands this God now. And Paul becomes one of the most influential guys to further the gospel message. Wendy, can you put the scripture back up there starting in verse, uh, I don't know, 15-ish? Now listen to this, and this is what Paul is saying in Ephesians. This Paul that was at one time persecuting Christians and condoning the killing of them, God got a hold of him, and he knew God so much that he's saying this. For this reason, I am praying for you. I've heard of your faith, Um, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having your hearts enlightened. Keep going, Wendy. Wendy. that you may know the hope to which you were called, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance. These are not words that he, he's not just kind of whipping out these words of some Christianese concept. This is not a halftime pep rally. Paul understands and he knows his God. And you know what? When he's writing these words, these encouragement to us, Paul's in prison. He's in chains. He's in bondage. And yet he's writing these words to us to be encouraged. When you read the words that Paul has written in Ephesians as we go through Ephesians, understand that. That Paul has had the worst of circumstances, yet he knows his God in the circumstances. Yeah, they are what they are. There's times when the circumstances around us break us down i you know it's i try to imagine what happened with paul between the time that god got him on the road and blinded him to the time he knew god and really understood god because i can't help but to think that god broke him down and sometimes in our brokenness when we are living in pain when we are living in the discomforts when we're living in the things that we are not enjoying when the circumstances around us are hard-pressed upon us, sometimes that's so heavy it takes us to a place of brokenness, right? And that brokenness can take us to a place of neediness. And the neediness takes us to a place where we said, I can't do it. I need to rely on God. I need to rely on God. That is a great lesson. It's a great truth. It's a hard lesson to learn. And I thank God for the opportunity to know it. Okay, here goes. Ten years ago, I stood right here and I asked you to pray for me. I asked you to pray for me because my wife just left me and I was devastated. I was devastated. Jamie and I, Jamie, my youngest daughter, and I came to church here and we're sitting here in the first row, right here, and we cried together. We prayed together. There was times of silence and we cried some more and we prayed some more, and we cried some more. And then all of a sudden, this calm came over her, and she looked at me, and she said, she'll be back. And I took that, I took that as a promise from God speaking to my little Jamie. And I clung to that. For years and years, I clung to that. But it didn't happen, and I started losing hope Up here, I started losing hope that that would ever happen. God never let me put a period on it, but up here I lost hope, and I decided I needed to move on. Fast forward to last winter, and I felt like God was saying, "It's time to resign from the ranch." And that was kind of a shock to me. I'm not a shock. I mean, it had always been in my mind, but I figured I had to stay there for quite a bit longer, get Jamie through college, you know, get all my everything set and finalized, and, and then I could retire. And, and God said, no, trust me. It's time right now. And so I did. And I retired from the ranch, and I've got my certifications now to help Tim and his school teach sailing, and the whole thinking was, I got really excited about what God was doing with me because here I am thinking that the sailing is going to allow me some income but still be able to do more mission work. And so I kind of got really excited about God using me as a single guy. Little did I know that God was working the other side of the coin and he was working on Laura's heart too. He was working on Laura's heart. When we understand the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, when we know that miracles can happen, I'm in the middle of a miracle because I'm happy to tell you right now that Laura and I, after 10 years, are rebuilding and restoring a broken covenant and a broken marriage only by the grace of God. is a God of forgiveness, a God of grace, and a God of mercy. You need to know that. You need to seek out who God is for who God is, not through the eyes of, the, of other people, not through our circumstances around us, not what's going on around us. You know, I got to admit, I don't get it. Here I am pursuing this career that God can use me now in a great way as a single guy, and I'm so excited about it. And he brings Laura back, and I'm going oh, this is good. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is doing this work, but I don't know how it's going to end up. You're going to have to stay tuned for the rest of that story. I told him I don't want to play house anymore. (laughs) Listen, people. When when Paul says, oh, I pray for you, the Spirit would give you the wisdom and the knowledge of our God, so that the eyes of your heart enlightened. Seek him out. Seek God out for who he is. On your knees, talking to him, through the Bible studies, through other believers, seek him out for who he is. That's all I'm going to ask of you this morning. Drew?